Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, dem Bundesliga-Podcast von der Football Grad Network. And my I'm, I'm your host Manuel Fried and I'm once again joined by Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? <laughs> I'm doing very well. I, you just about got through that introduction there, didn't you? <laughs> Oh yes, it's been it's been that kind of morning. Um, I worked all weekend because, of course, it's MLS playoffs, so um, I had to get all the content out. And then there were some big games here in, in Canada as well, and the Bundesliga. So it's been, I think, Saturday. I worked from six o'clock in the morning till seven p.m. And then Sunday, I slept in. I went for a big bike ride, but then I still worked five hours in the afternoon. <laughs> so, yeah, you're quite right. I almost didn't get through this introduction. It's been it's been quite a week. Yeah, <laughs> but how is it going for you? Yeah, I'm okay. I mean, I'm I'm kind of similar. I mean, I'm here in Scotland, and we're basically just below the Arctic Circle. So it's four thirty, and it is pitch black. Oh, so yeah, you know, it's just um, it's it's pretty gruesome at times, but you know. It is what it is. You just have to hold out until the Christmas markets and the mulled wine start show up, or the glue vine, as we would say on this <laughs> podcast. But till then, yeah, right. And then you just uh, right. And before you know it, it's Christmas break, break here, and it's Christmas. So we're we're in the lot. We're in a, we're in this kind of straight and narrow now through to the end of the year, aren't we? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I'm, I'm supposed to go to Germany, of course, on December 9th to um, cover some games and. Um, watch some football and hang out with the family and um, Christmas markets were on the list as well but you know that's not happening <laughs> at least in the state of Bavaria it well, is not and I, I, I have my doubts it's going to happen anywhere else um, you know of course we're watching the situation quite closely because British Columbia where I live we have 92% of the population vaccinated we have 1G as they say you know the the one, two, and three G. Anyone who's listening to the podcast and, and knows what the rules are like in Germany, the G, of course, they, st stands for geimpft, genesen, or getested, so uh, vaccinated, um, recovered, or tested. In, in British Columbia, we have one G. And Stefan, I tell you one thing: I wish we had one G in Germany as well. Um, and it doesn't. This one G, of course, includes any work, any workplace in British Columbia. It includes every athlete. It includes every stadium visit. And we've been having open stadiums, full stadiums and restaurants and everything for, for everyone who's vaccinated. And our numbers, I think our incidence rate per 100,000 here in British Columbia, Vancouver Island is five per 100,000. Um, when you compare that with Bavaria, where they're inching to 1,000 to 100,000, I think I know which rule works better. And that gets us right into our first topic. And Bayern Munich lose to Augsburg. Um, that alone would be worth an entire podcast, Stefan, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. This, I mean, the thing is, when we're talking about football, we try our best to talk about the football because for many people, this is something, this escapism, it's entertainment, it takes their mind off of some relatively bleak moments about the world right now. But 
it really feels like this week, the last couple of weeks, has been a real kind of moment for German football where COVID has just demanded to be front and centre of everything that's going on right now. We have the mess at Werder Bremen, which we can maybe touch on later on. But right now at Bayern Munich, it seems to be completely just destroying their season at the moment. Um, Friday's match. Now, I'm not. I'm, I'm, having said all that, I'm not actually entirely keen on letting Bayern off with this by simply saying they were missing a few players who were quarantined because those players refused to get vaccinated um, because the team that they still put out was perfectly capable of beating Augsburg. You can maybe argue that Leroy Sané is tired from German national team, um, Lewandowski too, maybe for Poland, etc., etc. But that was a team that was still very, very good on paper and should have beaten Augsburg. So I'm not entirely, um, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to give them, to give Bayern that excuse because they just look tired, they look jaded, um, and the players who stepped in, particularly Marcel Sabitza, did not look up to scratch at all. Um, and that's that should be a worry for Bayern Munich fans. I really do think that, because this is the second or third time now this season which we've seen them just completely down tools against a team they should be beating comfortably, and they've made it really mm. hard work for themselves. Yeah, I agree. Um, I watched this game on Friday, and um i had a hard time watching it especially when because the atmosphere was so good and i i you know and augsburg fans did a fantastic job um carrying the team i thought and i just thought the entire time this is probably the last time we're going to see something like that in bavaria so there was a strong sense of melancholy but i when you look at the base numbers um bayern munich i think they had uh, around 70 percent possession right and um they they created quite a bit um, well, they didn't create that much, but you know they they had that that ability to really box in Augsburg at times. But what I thought where they were really lacking was that being consequential in that final third. I mean, they really only had that one big chance that Lewandowski scored, mm. right? Uh, and it was a beautiful goal, and it was it was well played out. But despite all the possession and the dominance that they had, they didn't seem they didn't seem like a Bayern side that would just score any moment, which we see so very often. Mm-hmm. Um, the cohesiveness was, was pretty much lacking. It was almost like they were devoid of ideas in, in the box. And I thought that was very interesting. And um, I had the sense Augsburg looked like they had so much more possession than they did mm-hmm. because what they did with the ball was so very effective. Every time they broke forward, you had I had a thought I you thought that they were going to do something with it and they did most of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the team that was less looked on paper, less dangerous when you actually watched the game was the more of dangerous of the two teams. That was at least the impression I got. Yeah. It's, it, it's so weird with Bayern because if you look at its stats, um, it's not huge to, to, to suggest that Augsburg seriously hindered them from scoring. Um, you know, their XG for the game was 2.11. This is Bayern. Um, mm. You know, that's that's not huge. I mean, they had a much higher XG against Freiburg, for example, and then Benfica the week before that. But their average for the season has been around 2.5. In the league, it's about 2.62. So it's not a huge amount of that. Uh, and interesting as well, I found quite interesting, was that um, Augsburg's XG wasn't very high at all either. So what you have here is basically Augsburg doing the real classic kind of punch and grab move here. Um, but mm. as you said yourself, it, it, it really wasn't perhaps about 
you know, Bayern missing chances. It was just more about the team struggling to create chances as a whole. Didn't seem as though players were capable of creating them from either the inside or on the wing, or even once, you know, like you said, Lewandowski and, and Thomas Müller. I mean, the goal itself came about from Müller almost accidentally miscontrolling the ball. I know it will go down as an assist, and maybe he's, we all know Müller's perfectly capable of doing things like that on purpose. I don't know if you thought it was intentional, but it looked quite almost unintentional. Um, but the thing that really stood out to me in that game was the manner in which Augsburg scored their goals. Um, we were discussing this before the podcast about whether Sabitzer's at fault for the first goal. Maybe I'm being unfair on him, but I kind of feel like there's a huge gap there when Hernandez clears up or gets makes an interception in the box. And you could tell Sabitzer's really stretching to get there before an Augsburg player scores. I think it was Hand, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And obviously he's at fault for the second goal as well for giving it away and you can quite literally point to that on the on the pitch and say that's exactly where Joshua Kimmich would be to stop this. Um, you know, I had a quick look at the stats after the game and Bayern have only won five of the last 10 games without Joshua Kimmich in the side, which is quite remarkable, I think, because even though Bayern, yeah. even though we all know how good Kimmich is, we still think of Bayern as a team packed full of tremendous match-winning players. We go on about Lewandowski all the time. We go on about Thomas Muller all the time. Uh, we go on about how well Leon Goretzka has been playing. You know, the form Gnabry, Sani have been in. But it seems as though you take Kimmich out of that side, and maybe this is perhaps leads to why they were so bad in general. You take that metronome out of that midfield, the guy who is, knows when to step up a gear, knows when to step back a gear, knows how to intercept counter-attacks, think it's an important part of his game as well. Take him out the side and you put someone like Sabitza in, who we all know he can be a good Bundesliga player, but he hasn't been that this season at all for Bayern, no matter how many chances he has been given. Um, and this is this is what happens. And, it's, and it really is quite interesting. It shows how vulnerable even the biggest team in Germany can be when they just take one player out of it. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's um, it speaks a lot for how important... Joshua Kimmich is for this team, mm. right? And <laughs> drawing a parallel here to Aaron Rodgers, another quarterback, <laughs> you know, and um, how important he is pretty much a quarterback of this team. And the way he plays defines defines this squad, but it also defines the German national team, right? And of course, they got away with it because of the opponents that they were playing in the international break. But Kimmich is so very important for the side and he's also very important in the dressing room and um having spoken to Kimmich a few times um, post game in the mixed zone at the Allianz Arena he is he's a clever little boy <laughs> he is quite small um I, I'm in fairness I'm 6'5 but still you know um he, he doesn't when it came out when I found out that he was one of the unvaccinated. I was kind of surprised by it. And of course he went on TV and explained it quite well. I thought um, where he was standing with this. So this is where maybe where he's a little bit different than Aaron Rodgers, who uh, claims he got alternative therapy in Canada, which if you're listening to this podcast and you're aware of the Aaron Rodgers uh, situation, the only alternative therapy I can think of that you can get in Canada and you can't get in the States is AstraZeneca. Um, That's about it. Um, So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so sidestepping here Kimmich explained why he didn't want to get vaccinated and uh, of course now that we know the full list because Bild obviously published it and um, we know that Gnabry Musiala 
um, Jubomoting and Kuisans are, are the other players on that list. We can now more openly talk about it. And Kimmich is the one that stands out for two very big reasons. Um, because he's so important, right? Um, which sets him apart from um, Chupomoting and uh, Kuisans. Uh, no offense to do those two, those two guys. If they don't want to get vaccinated, okay, fine. But at the end of the day, that's not going to hurt Bayern very much. Um, with Musiala, he's 18. So he was only eligible for vaccine at the end of August. And my understanding is that because of that, they wanted to wait till the winter break, which is obviously considering the situation in Germany may have been the wrong thing to do, right? Mm. Um, with Knabri, he actually had COVID. So by German law um, at the time, he meant he hasn't, wasn't actually eligible for the, the, the vaccine for some time. And you can, you know, we're back to the three Gs, genesen, which is recovered, is one of the three Gs that we had for a long time and governed German life. So he, he's always in a little bit of a different situation. Um, of course, um, I live in a country where it doesn't matter whether you are recovered, you still have to get vaccinated, which I think is the right thing to do. And um, I think it's similar in the UK, right, Stefan? Because I think if you had it, you still have to get vaccinated. Yeah, certainly for the first two jabs. I'm not quite sure how the booster jab rollout will go. Um, mm. But yeah, you definitely still need to, even if you have had it. Yeah, so... I think that's maybe like just to like point out the differences, but what, what, what it is doing right now, and this is the understanding that a lot of media have that covered this team is that there is actually quite a lot of controversial discussion in the dressing room about this. Um, I think Thomas Müller and Manuel Neuer and Julian Nagelsmann have said on, on various outlets that they want everyone to be vaccinated. Leroy Sané was a little bit more diplomatic mm. um, and saying that he understands it, but it was also kind of like, how are you? But we need these players, right? Mm. So at what point, and the word and build, and you have to always take that for a pinch of salt, at least, um, what they write. But the word from build is that it is dividing the dressing room. And at what point, when you're part of an organization like that, and of course, Bayern Munich have said, um, or they haven't confirmed it, but it is pretty much how the rules work in Germany at the moment. If you, if you are not able to work because you're not because you're not vaccinated, you're not getting paid during that time if you miss time. So in Kimmich's case, I think that's close to seven hundred thousand euros already. Mm. That's his own personal decision once again, right? But at what point do you say in a team sport, you actually hurting us? Yeah. Right. I mean, I think. And that sorry that we're pretty much there, right, at this stage. Yeah, I think. I think I've read that Bar Munich are going to donate his wages uh, to charity. The ones obviously they'll take off him because he hasn't been vaccinated. And I, we kind of talked about this um, a few weeks ago, actually, before he had to quarantine. And, you know, we basically said at, at that point that while this is obviously a personal decision and it's one that he, sh he can't be forced into. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure if he should be forced into. I'm still not quite at the stage where I think we should be, as a society, making these things mm. mandatory. Um, I, I, I still think, um, I, I still said, you know, well, even though it's a personal choice for him, it will have consequences that will impact on the people around him. It'll impact his family right now because he's having to quarantine and they probably are too. Uh, and it's obviously having a huge, huge impact on his team. Um, and it is really interesting to see how this does have an impact on the dressing room because Bayern Munich have always been such a tight-knit group of players. 
Um, it's very easy to tell who the hierarchy are. Kimmich, in his recent contract negotiations, made a huge play to become part of that top tier of you know real leaders in that squad and be paid as such. Mm. He finally got that. Um, and at this first hurdle, he's, he's stumbled because how can he claim to call himself a leader of this group if his decision to not get vaccinated is now going to has cost him three points on Friday. Uh, it might cost him a result in the Champions League this weekend, this week. Mm. Maybe Now, mm. that's not really going to matter, obviously. And obviously, some people listening to this podcast will probably already know the result of that game. But after that game, they've got a match against Amina Bielefeld, Bielefeld and then it's Dortmund. And I think we were saying before the podcast that Kimmich is only due to return to Bayern training a few days before that game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh yeah. Not to mention, obviously, that there are six or seven players who are also out. So it's 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 not really Kimmich's fault that um, you know he got exposed to the virus and he's had to quarantine. But it is his fault that this has had ramifications on so many players in the squad and it's disrupted the team so much. Um, and if he wants to be a real leader in that team, if he wants to be one of the most important players, if he wants to be Mr. Bayern Munich going forward... These are the kind of things you have to take in your chin. This is this is the this is the consequence of leadership. Yeah, I mean, I saw that this week that someone who um, wants to be the captain of Bayern Munich and uh, the German national team down the road um, can't behave like that. My counter argument to that, of course, is also again tongue in cheek that he represents Germany quite well at the moment because mm-hmm. <laughs> Germany has stumbled its way. I remember on this day in September, October, and um, I enjoyed the freedoms and privileges that we had um, there, right? This was around the time when numbers in British Columbia were exploding, and British Columbia's reaction was um, close to what they call Impflicht in German, um, you know, the mandatory vaccine. Now in BC, if you want to go to work, you have to be vaccinated, um, and this counts for every single workplace. They laid off people in the government because they're not vaccinated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's federally mandated now in all of Canada that if you want to use any federal transportation method, that's quite a lot of stuff. You know, the federal government mandates uh, or controls almost all forms of transportation. Mm-hmm. Then you have to be fully vaccinated. Um, and that is pretty close to a vaccine mandate. And I think when you look at our numbers and you look at theirs, I know which one is the right choice yeah. in the end of the day. And, you know, it's gotten Germany into a situation where they're back to square one or even worse. You know, they're, they're the new Italy or Spain of the early stages of the pandemic. And it's embar- I personally find it embarrassing. You know, I find it very embarrassing because it was all preventative. And it, it's because people like Kimmich, where are living a public life unvaccinated, mm-hmm. you know, doing all these things that are really just a privilege, including for playing football is a privilege and um, doing it while being publicly unvaccinated. It set the message in such a wrong way. And this was all around the time of election where Germany couldn't put in the stops and stop the spread of the virus, where now we are at the stage now where we're probably going to have closed stadiums again. And people like Kimmich, and he's representative of that in many, many ways of all that that group of population that's driving this latest explosion of the virus are responsible. In the end of the day, 
they are responsible, together with the politicians, of course, that allowed them to be that way. So that's maybe my final thing on Kimmich, because <laughs> you can tell I'm like a little bit mad about it, because um, it's like personally impacting impacting a lot of Germans, and it's impacting my family, it's impacting me, and it's impacting a lot of people who made the right decision. Um, so, yeah, it's frustrating, Stefan. <laughs> so maybe we should just for a moment here move on before we get back into this topic because we're of course going to talk about the Berlin Derby and Markus Anfang still but I want to briefly maybe interlude it with Marco Reus and Borussia Dortmund let's talk about real leadership because he's a guy who is a vaccinated but also has been carrying his team um, to within one point of Bayern Munich again you know we all we were all jokingly saying of course now that Bayern Munich has slipped up we should all put 100 euros on um Borussia Dortmund losing to Stuttgart. And in fairness, it looked like at times that they wouldn't get those three points. Yeah. Can I just say, and I've said, this isn't the first time I've come on this podcast to say this this season, Borussia Dortmund were terrible in this game. And <laughs> yes, I, think this is maybe, I think this is maybe the third <laughs> week in a row I've started with the Dortmund section by just pointing this out. They were horrendous. That first half, terrible. Um and they they could probably consider themselves quite fortunate in this match, I would say. I'll only say that because Daniel Malin scored his first Bundesliga goal through a heavily deflected shot from the edge of the box. Uh, and then the second goal, although it was a smart one-two between Royce and Hazard, um, it, it almost stumbled upon them. Um, you know, if you actually watch the replay, Royce isn't really rushing <laughs> up the park until he kind of no. looks up and realizes what's before them. And it was so bizarre because Stuttgart defended so well in that match, and then they just threw away the end there, which is maybe a kind of microcosm of Stuttgart's season at the moment. Um, but you know, Dortmund are just finding solutions to problems week in week out, um, and it gets to a point where you have to kind of suggest that this is actually quite admirable. Um, on an individual level, you can put a lot of praise on people like Marco Royce. Um, you know, since Haaland has been out injured, uh, he has scored or assisted four of Dortmund's 10 goals, I think. So, and that's mm. more than anyone else in the team. So he has undoubtedly stepped up um, in a manner which he didn't really do towards the second half of last season, I felt. I thought he kind of really tailed off last season. Um, that could have obviously be done to fitness and injury, but he's 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 kind of helped provide a kind of focal point um, in a team that's really struggled to have one um, without Haaland, which just on a total tangent, I have no idea why. Well, I do know why because he's quite unproven, but I do wonder whether Marco Rosa has been tempted to ever just throw Tiggers into these games from the start because at times Dortmund do look like they just lack a big guy in the box. Anyway, um yeah, so I, 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 again, I'm kind of cautiously, carefully encroaching on Dortmund saying, look, it's good that you got that result. We're all happy there's still a Bundesliga title race, but it's it's things are still kind of, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it does feel, I mean, I, I, I could, I, it's, it's, it's a very weird situation where Dortmund are one point off Bayern, but you can completely understand why the fans are really not quite happy with the way this team are playing right now. Yeah, Marco Reus, um, 33% goal participation of all goals this season. That's, that's just, I think, everything you need to know about his the season he's having. He's been outstanding. Um, he's a real leader for this team. Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, of course, um, 
he said some not so nice things about Marco Reus, uh, um, basically saying uh, that he could have joined Bayern Munich and maybe then he would have won a few more titles. But I think anyone who's followed Marco um, Reus's career understands that for Reus, um, it's always been a bit more about, not about titles, but um, a title with Bayern would probably not mean anything for him, you know, because of the Dortmund boy that he is. I think he really 100% identifies with this club and it's showing in this very difficult period that they're in. And I think people don't un quite understand how difficult this period actually is for Borussia Dortmund without Erling Haaland. Of course, that's one thing, but players coming in and out injured. Um, I think Rose is very much struggling still with, with finding an identity at this club, um, with Terzic, of course, always being there, overshadowing everything, right? And I think that's quite difficult. And I think it is in so many ways remarkable that Dortmund are keeping it close because... It's almost like um, they're getting these results that in previous years they would have not have gotten. Yeah. And I think that is actually maybe the one positive we can take from this, that despite the fact that they're playing terribly, they did play terribly. I, I saw someone tweet that this is an intriguing game. Like, it was intriguing because it was close, nothing else. It was not a good game of football. Um, but they're getting those results. They're getting the points where in the past they did not, Right. And I think that is uh, something that maybe people who are following the Bundesliga, that is something that we can be excited about because at some point Erling Haaland will be back. Mm. Um, there will be a winter break and um, the winter break will give this team a chance to recover and rejuvenate and maybe also sign a centre-back who can actually play the game of football still um, because <laughs> uh, we kind of probably sound like a little bit of a broken record. And Mats Hummels has been struggling all year. Now, I want to add one little tiny thing to that. And I, I, here's uh, food for thought for you, Stefan. Mats Hummels came back um, to the German national team, played the Euros. And um, in previous incarnations of Mats Hummels, the younger ones would have probably just shrugged off a tournament like that and moved on. He got hurt at the tournament, right? Then missed the season preparation and the first few games of the season and he, it seems like almost he's playing catch-up. So now we've been quite critical of him. But what we've seen this in the past with him. What about him getting actually the time he needs to prepare for the second half of the season in the winter break? Maybe we'll actually get to see a very different player then. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I thought um, it was quite interesting. Karl-Heinz Rummenigge's quotes on Sky over the weekend. Um and in, in in retirement, he's kind of taken up the kind of Uli Honus role of just making the most outlandish remarks possible um, because it, nothing really matters anymore to him. It doesn't really matter how he pisses off um, because he was quite harsh on Hummels. He said, you know, he's very slow. Um, there's a reason he's not playing for Germany, et cetera, et cetera. And while I do understand that and while I can – while it almost echoes what we said in this podcast to the point I wonder if he listens to the show. Um, I, 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 I kind of mentioned this on Twitter and I was quite careful to use the term, you know, obviously, you know, we say, you know, blah, blah, blah. Rummenigge has said this, that, and the next thing. Um, but instead of kind of saying, we're talking about a player here who um, is finished, I said, you know, yes, it's right to say the Hummels probably is one of the biggest obstacles for Dortmund this season. 
unless he gets his fitness back. Now, I said fitness instead of, you know, saying unless he can miraculously get quicker, because I do wonder if, even though he does lack uh, pace, and that's not really something that he can change anymore, like anyone can, it's just, it's just a matter of getting older. I do wonder if what underlines or what entirely undermines his game at the moment is the fact that uh, he's actually unfit above everything else. Uh, I've said in the podcast yeah. before, I've kind of noted the fact that really struggles to finish games for Dortmund right now. Um, if they're winning, he's probably one of their first players they'll pull off. Even if they're losing, he'll still come off. Uh, I don't have the stats to hand, but I, a few weeks ago I did quote them. I think there's maybe one out of the first 11 games that he's actually finished for Dortmund this season. So the signs there do suggest to me that actually it's an overall fitness concern that's maybe holding him back. And if that's the case, and if he can regain his fitness over the winter break, he may still be able to come back and prove to be a fantastic defender, even if he still hasn't got that pace uh, to you know chase down a strike over 40 yards. So there is that kind of hope there. And I think that's a really good point you make there about whether it's fit. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a difference we probably have to make here between Hummel's being unfit and slow and Hummel's being old and slow. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense. And I actually really agree with that. And I actually have been wondering about that for some time because it is quite obvious that um, the lack of season preparation has hurt him. I think that's been a big one for him. And um, I do hope for Dortmund that that's it because it's very difficult to find a centre-back in the current market who's who's better than a top-fit Hummels. Um, centre-backs are very hard to come by, very difficult. I mean, Manchester United paid a club, club record fee for a centre-back for Harry Maguire. That, that tells you everything you need to know about um, how difficult this market is. Um, yeah, Dortmund next up against uh, Sporting in the Champions League. That's going to be a very important match for them. They pretty much have to win that game after the two two defeats against Ajax. And of course, we covered Ajax, the Ajax game in great length. And Nomas um, red card that never should have been a red card in his defense. So yeah, um, it's a big game for them. Sporting, of course, a second in, in Portugal, even on points with Porto on 29. Uh, good side. Can't be underestimated, and um, it's going to be an interesting game um, midweek for them. And you know, don't want to go into too big, big of detail for it because, of course, some people listen to this after the Champions League games were played. So let's move on and talk about the Berlin derby. And Stefan, um, I spoke to Freddy Bobic last week, and I wrote an article in in Forbes. It's been quite widely uh, quoted, actually, all over the German media because I guess of the the quotes that I chose to use. Um, you know, the, the fact that he mentioned that most of the money that the investors given them is gone. Uh, and and then another big one, of course, was the fact that Hertha Berlin are competing in, in Berlin with a lot of other clubs in terms of getting people's attention, mm. but also because a lot of other teams are, are using Berlin's um, riches, which is a very young population and are also a very uh, cosmopolitan population, of course, to, to farm for youth players and Bayern Munich are quite aggressive on that market. And I, I thought that was very interesting in that article on Forbes. And another thing that he mentioned uh, is the fact that Hertha Berlin need a new stadium. And I think anyone who watched this game and compared the Alte Försterei to what the Olympiastadion is. And the Olympiastadion is a gorgeous stadium. You know, it holds 75,000 people. 
And Freddie Bobic said for the big games, they will always use that that stadium. And it's a great venue for the DFB Pokal. But you get the sense that the one thing that Hertha really need at this stage, and especially, and this is, I think, where Union Berlin is probably currently winning over Hertha, um, gaining the hearts and minds of the average Berliner, is that stadium, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think going into this match, I did find it very interesting where both teams are because prior to the match, they're only a couple of points off each other. And on the one side, you have this Union side that are put together with misfits and backup players and players who joined them on loan and were allowed to leave the bigger clubs because they weren't good enough. And then older players like Max Cruza who joined for free, etc., etc. And then on the other side, you have this kind of sparkly, glossy club that have got this, well, notorious or maybe quite infamous investor who spent a huge amount of money. They've got them nowhere at all. And, you know, these two clubs who I think most fans would probably argue there isn't really a huge derby there. It's not really a historical derby. There are historical moments between the two clubs because of what happened to Berlin as a city. But it's not a, it's not a famous derby by any means. But you do find that these two clubs, you kind of pit these two clubs against each other and they are kind of like chalk and cheese, as we would say, in the sense that they're mm. very different from one another. And you look at the kind of atmosphere that Union can put together, you look at the kind of, now this may just be my Twitter bubble, but you look at the kind of, um, the attention they receive internationally. I, I know Union fans in Scotland and the UK who travel to games because they're considered a quote-unquote real club. Um, they almost have a kind of air of St. Pauli about them, I think, in international audiences. Yeah. Um, and having spoke to people at Hertha Berlin in the past who, you know, investors and maybe foreign people want to get involved in the club because a lot of people look at Berlin and think there's a lot of money to be made there if you can get a football club working well. A lot of people at Hertha, that's exactly the kind of magic they've been probably spending a fortune to try and to grasp. <laughs> and Union have done it just by being a well-run club. Don't get me wrong, they've got their own issues. Their fans have got their own issues, which I'm sure we've talked about in this podcast before or the guys before me have talked about. And it's not something that yeah. Union hide away from themselves to their credit. Um, but yeah, it was it it, it it is it is very interesting that that's the way that you've framed this this, this game because it's almost as if it, the, the, the stadium that Union have and the fans that they have and the atmosphere they have, that's the one thing that Hertha Berlin have spending so much money to try and capture and they just can't get it. Which is maybe which is maybe just a really good allegory of modern football, isn't it? <laughs> money thrown at something to try and try and get legitimacy, which you can't you can't buy legitimacy in football. No, you can't. And there's another thing that Freddie Bowers said that in retrospect I found found very interesting because he's of course remolded this team and he said all these things that he's he tried to do uh, the things that he successfully did at Frankfurt because he turned that he turned Frankfurt around Frankfurt is now one of the best run teams in German football right they weren't when he started you know um, they were not um, a well run team at all um, and they now are and. Uh, Frankfurt is a sexy club now again with one of the best fan bases in European football um, and he said something about the fact that he had to basically restructure this entire club and restructure the squad and rework the squad and sell players and move in different players and and then he said um, 
mentality will always beat quality. That's a direct quote. And then you look at the Starby, and that's exactly what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> mentality beat quality, <laughs> you know, in, in so many ways. I think Bobic looked at this game and said, well, the team with the better mentality won. Yeah. And, and I think he, he's the first to admit that that's what happened. Um, I, I actually, I really enjoyed it talking to him because um, he he is a guy that has a really in-depth approach of how to fix a club, change a club, change the structures of the club and um, do it intelligently and with a plan. And he's the first to admit that this will take years, you know, and um, a new stadium, of course, would be a game changer for them. But I think he's also, you know, has to completely restructure everything that's going on in the club. And so we cannot expect results for Hertha for, for some time, I think. And that is that I think if you're a Hertha fan, um, you have to get used to a little bit to the fact that Onion are currently ahead of them. Because Onion, speaking of mentality, they find a guy like Taibo Aboni, right? Um, who has scored eight goals in 12 games. And in my opinion, is the is the very definition of a power forward. I mean, to find a player like that, um, sign him for relatively little money from Liverpool. Um, although I do think that Liverpool might have a buyback clause. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not 100% sure about that, though. Um, but here's a guy that they're going to make a lot of money off at some point, you know, because they identified exactly the right player. And there's, the Union seem to be very good at this at the moment. Absolutely. And it's the big difference between maybe how Union buy players and how Hertha buy players. Union are buying players if they can afford to buy them in the first place, who they know will do a job for them in the Bundesliga. Hertha are maybe a little two steps ahead of themselves here where they're trying to buy up young players who might look good on paper, who might be able to get sold well uh, before they even really put a squad together in the first place. Um, you know, Cunha, who obviously left in the summer, is a good example of that who I never really thought was consistent enough in the Bundesliga, even though there was so much buzz around him. Um, and it, 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 I think you're absolutely right. absolutely right. One club is being very pragmatic in the transfer window and being, and just basically working day to day. And one club is trying to basically run before they can walk. And you would think that's what Bobic is there to fix because that's obviously what Frankfurt did eventually very well under him. Um, put together a very strong side. They put together a good recruitment strategy. They put together good teams. Um, and even Hertha's desire for a new stadium, it maybe underlines the fact that they're maybe, they, are, they maybe still do have their heads in the clouds here because they should really put in a good team. They should be pushing for European football every single season and putting a product on the pitch that people in Berlin will want to go watch before they start dreaming about getting a proper stadium with a proper atmosphere, because it's not really going to, there's no point building a, a, a really well built 50 or 60,000 seater stadium if you're still going to be mulling around mid table every season. Yeah. And that comes again with recruitment. And of course, um, people always say, like, well, how do you get fans into a stadium? And there's one formula in, in any professional sport that will make a team sexy, Stefan, and that's winning. <laughs> it's the bottom line. You want to turn around the fortunes of a club, a sports team, a franchise. It doesn't matter what you want to call it, of course. You need to win. 
And that's in the end, of, that's the bottom line. How did Frankfurt become sexy again? Well, they started winning games. You know, why are Bayern Munich sold out every game? Well, because they win a lot. And in the end of the day, that's that's how you get bumps in this, on the seats uh, is by winning. And I think that's, you know, Bobic will, I'm pretty sure Bobic will find that formula. Um, I've heard a lot of good things before I spoke to Bobic about Freddie Bobic, about people that, from people who, who know quite a lot about the game and, He's widely considered one of the smartest um, people in German football when it comes when, when it comes to bringing in the structure of a club and was previously often misunderstood. And by the way, his English is also excellent. Uh, I was very impressed by that as well. Um, not only that he spoke it well, but also that he was able to communicate well what he actually wanted to bring across. Talks a lot, but what he does say makes sense. Um, so it was really interesting speaking to him. And I feel like maybe we should ask him to come on the show at some point, Stefan. I think that'd be fantastic. Um, so I know people in the Bundesliga listen to this podcast. If you listen to this done right now, I think that'd be a good idea. But um, we have to also talk about the negatives. And there's two more negatives. And I feel like there's this heavy cloud of COVID hanging over this show. And um, again, we are a football podcast, but unfortunately, the real world sometimes creeps into the sport. And the derby was full. It was a great atmosphere. Um, again, um, in German Germany and German politicians in the infinite wisdom are still allowing everyone, almost everyone into stadiums because they think that testing is enough. I think this game was 2G, which means also people who are recovered, of course, I said it before, it's 1G here in British Columbia and that's working great and our numbers are low. Um, I, again, had a sense of melancholy because I think this is probably one of the last sold-out games we're going to have um, this year, Stefan. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case, doesn't it? It'll be interesting to see how this impacts on the Bundesliga because I don't think this is something that's probably going to happen in every league uh, around Europe. I am not no. don't want to get into discussion about which countries are doing things better or what or who else aren't, but to keep it specifically on the Bundesliga, it'd be interesting to see how this then impacts how certain teams play uh, because we know for a fact that certain teams do better when they do have the crowd behind them, when they do have uh, you know, that pressure or that confidence behind them. And it undoubtedly takes away from uh, the spectacle of the Bundesliga. Um, you know, we've said in this show before when we're talking about the Super League and things or whatever else that the fans are the number one thing about this league that attracts people from all over the world to watch it so yeah it's yeah. it's it, it'd be very sad it'd be really sad if we do have to start seeing stadiums being closed to half capacity or closed entirely or whatever else because it, it would be yeah it would just be extremely disappointing for it there's no really not really anything else to yeah. add to that really here's what we know Allianz Arena is down to 25 percent capacity so that will be 19,000 against um Barcelona, for example, and in the last few games before the winter break. Um, worst case, it could be, of course, less if the incidence rate in Bavaria goes over 1,000 per 100,000 and it's creeping up there. It's um, it's, a re- it's a reality that this could happen before Christmas. And of course, in the winter break and what happens after the winter break, I, I'm pretty sure games will be full with attendance again because um, I'm keeping a close eye on this, of course, because of <laughs> wanting to go there. Um, I've already told family that I'm not going I'm not flying from a country where COVID is under control and we have no lockdown to a country and I go into lockdown. That's not happening. But I, I sense that after Christmas, things will change because people will either have gotten vaccinated or they will have had it because of the rate it's going. But yeah, this is where we are. 19,000 for the Allianz Arena going forward. 
Uh, RB Leipzig, of course, no more attendance until Christmas. That's um, that might be a good thing for the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be. I mean, uh, I, I'm not of that sort. Of, I'm not the sort of person. We have some people that we know who say, "Okay, look, they don't have a real. They don't have real fans, anyways." That's not true. I've met many RB Leipzig fans, and they are fully behind this team, and they're just as passionate as people and fans and other markets. Um, I think that's a, that's not fair, but yeah, they have not been playing good football, have they? So it might maybe locking out the fans and sparing them from what what's been going on might not be the worst thing in the world until Jesse Marsh figures it out until after Christmas. So yeah, this is where we at, and um, of course this can change quickly. It can get worse, or um, they're going to bring in rules that will just lock out people who are not vaccinated. It will be an interesting one to follow. Um, not vaccinated or maybe vaccinated, is Markus Anfang from Werder Bremen. <laughs> um, <laughs> here's what we know about this. Uh, he has left the club. You know, the German word is, of course, freigestellt, uh, which is like um, furloughed, right, um, during the time of the investigation. Um, I think it's pretty telling that he has been essentially fired um, from the club. And um, the news reports that just came out Werder Bremen, of course, mingling, uh, recovering from relegation to the Bundesliga 2 uh, at the moment, um, trying to rebuild this club. And um, Markus Anfang's situation is, of course, a big, big one here. But uh, here's the latest, Stefan. Um, this morning, it was reported that the Inf Center or the Vaccine Center in Cologne does not have him registered as having gotten his shots there. And apparently the charge number, you know, on your vaccine passport, there's a charge number with the lot number of which vaccine you got doesn't match any lot number there is uh, that that has has been given by to anyone in Germany. So, yeah, um, a head coach in German football went through the lengths of faking his vaccine status. There was a similar state case here in, in, uh, in uh, North America where um, Evander Kane San Jose from the San Jose Sharks and NHL also faked his vaccine passport. I mean, the lengths to go through this, mm. right, in a leading position, because in this case, it was a player. This is a head coach. Um, I find this way worse than not getting vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, again, and this goes back to kind of what we're seeing at the top of the show about Kimmich and things and this is once again the real world kind of seeping into the into German football and, and yeah. having consequences. And you know, it's it's really interesting looking at what's going on in Germany right now from outside the country. And it's a country I used to live in, it's a country I hold dear to my heart. It's a country, it's a yeah. country that I admire in, in, in leaps and bounds. Um but when you do look at the vaccination rates, the amount of people who have rejected or refusing to get the vaccination, it, it seems almost inevitable that this was going to creep into football because football, at the end of the day, is just a mirror on society. People within football are the exact same as everyone else in the society. And if you do have a large chunk of the German population, and it's not just in Germany, it's the same in Switzerland and Austria as well, so it's obviously a cultural thing to an extent, but... Once, if if you have these, if you have this slow uptake in vaccinations in the society, you're going to have it in football. And you've now, I mean, I'm only guessing here, and I can only guess because I'm not going to pretend to be on top of the story. But 
or at least I'm, I'm not reporting on the story, so I don't have anything to add to it um, in terms of facts. But if you're now getting to the point where people within German football are having to lie about their COVID or not COVID, their vaccination status because they're refusing to get it. And they obviously know that um, not having it will limit their employment situation. That's a huge problem. Um, yeah. And, you know, this is obviously very different from Kimmich and players that are in the Bundesliga because their clubs will know whether they're vaccinated. This is very different entirely. And as you said, it's worse because, um, you know, his coaches claim to have had it when he hadn't done it. And this is obviously really screwed up Werder Bremen to an extent in a season which they weren't already doing very well at all. Um, so it's very unfair on him or on the club. It's very unfair on the fans. Um, but again, this is kind of society encroaching in on football and kind of shining a light or, or, or reflecting off of football in that sense. Because, you know, I think what we're seeing here is something that probably echoes through German society quite a lot at the moment. Yeah, uh, maybe to round this up, uh, the show, round the show up, um, my thoughts on this because I am German and I have many thoughts on it. So I'm trying to keep this as brief as possible. And it's really difficult to explain this to outsiders. Uh, in some ways, what's happening to Germany is, is very reflective of what happened to other societies. Germany's vaccination rate isn't actually that low. There's lots of, including the United States, uh, countries that are lower. Um, but of course, it's impacting Germany more because there weren't regulations brought in um, in September, October for many different reasons. We were in the middle of the federal election. In the federal election, both sides tried to attract voters. And if you have a good 30% of the population that's not vaccinated, that's a big chunk of your vote. Right. And then, of course, in Germany, we have a different election system than in many other countries is that you have to form a coalition and coalition negotiations this time around are very difficult because for the first time in German history, it will be three parties in charge. And one of the parties in, that will come into government, the liberals or the FTP, um, we're against a lot. They, you know, Liberal is literally in the word liberal. Uh, freedom, liberals um, or giving people liberties. And they were very much against um, bringing in tough regulations and against unvaccinated. They have, of course, now come around because, you know, um, German society went from 38% wanting to have vaccine mandates to 67%. And that always makes governments and parties change their mind, right? But it, in some ways, it was a perfect storm. And that Germany was in a situation where things were really good, then there was an election, and as numbers creeped up, the old government didn't feel responsible anymore and the new government wasn't ready yet to step in, right? Um, that created this situation. And then, of course, uh, Germany's always had, like other countries, a large movement of uh, anti-vaxxers. It's just how it's been. It's been it's a historical problem. And usually those problems were then solved by the government mandating vaccination. Chickenpox is a good example for this. So this is where we are, and this is why we are in this, this sort of situation of perfect storm. And also Germany, of course, unlike other countries, because the UK, uh, Stefan Wright, the numbers are pretty much the same in the UK or in the US, where the numbers are also the same, um, the government doesn't pay as much attention of protecting the healthcare system. Whereas in Germany, of course, the government is saying, no, we cannot let this run amok and let this go out of control. So this is maybe where you have this, this contrast, where on the one side, 
the government was willing to let it go out of control. But now because it is out of control, they're not saying we're going to let it run through like they did in the UK or in the US. Uh, instead, they want to hammer it back down. Um, I think, you know, the genie's out of the box and this is where we are and we're going to be there for months. Um, but it, this is basically how we got into this situation. And it it is, you know, we could probably do an entire show on this, mm. but um, this is how I personally see it as a German. And this is how I want to explain it maybe also as a German to to listeners, because I've gotten this question now several times on Twitter. It's like, what's going on with your country, Manuel? Like, I always thought Germans were like clever, smart, and efficient. And we are, but we are also not. <laughs> and <laughs> um, there's lots of things that Germany does really well, including inventing this vaccine. <laughs> and not using it themselves apparently and um in some ways there is the germany has always been about fortschritt und traditionalismus so advancement of technology but also very traditional i'm from bavaria i'm from one of the most modern cities in bavaria munich but you drive an hour, hour outside of munich and you are in the most backwards and i mean that sometimes in a positive sometimes in a negative way place in the world mm. so you have a lot of contrast clashing against each other and this is how we got to the situation so this is it stefan um i think a lot of people probably tuned out at this point but uh, <laughs> this is where we at and this is maybe my my little explainer to uh, how we got there and hopefully um we can get through this winter we can get stay safe stay healthy and um maybe in the spring we can actually watch football without thinking about covid um before we wrap this up anything you want to highlight that's maybe not related to the stupid disease anything i want to highlight uh i do a newsletter every wednesday uh you can get it on twitter you can sign up to for for free on twitter uh so yeah if you're looking for something to distract you from covid i promise this week's newsletter will have nothing to do with that so yeah there's that's fantastic And next week, we will not talk about it either, unless the league shuts down. (laughs) All right, guys, that's it. Um, Thanks for listening. Thanks for paying attention. And until next week, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.